Hi, I'm Ellie Roark. I'm Wilson Gall. And you're listening to the Fledgling Theories podcast, um, a monthly podcast where we bring you the latest in bird research. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the article called Dialects of an Invasive Songbird are Preserved in its Invaded but Not Native Source Range. It's by Pavel Pipek, Teresa Petruskova, Adam Petrusek, Lucy Dibilkova, Mark A. Eaton, and Petter Pisek. This is a 2018 article from the Journey Ecography. The article's open access, so you can read it if you want. We're going to put the link on the uh, on our website, and you can click on it, so you should be able to look at the graphs and the visualizations if you want to as we go along here. And that website is fledglingtheories.podbean.com. You can also find the link and join in the discussion on our Twitter, which is at Fledgecast. So the title of the article didn't say, but Ellie, what bird, what specific bird species is this studying? So this study is looking at the yellowhammer, which is uh, Emberiza citronella, and it's a, a small Eurasian bunting found in kind of agricultural areas. And they're studying the song dialects for this bird. So very briefly, what is a dialect in bird song? It's basically a, a kind of culturally transmitted variation in the kind of song. Um, and in, in yellowhammers, they learn it from their neighbors. And this study is looking at the song dialects in part of the native range in Great Britain and in an area where the yellowhammer is introduced. It's not a native bird, and that's in New Zealand. So why, in this case, why are they comparing the song dialects in this invasive, invaded range in New Zealand to the native range. Yeah, so that's what's cool about this study. Um, they have really good historical records that link the Great Britain and New Zealand populations because they know that birds were captured in Sussex in Great Britain and then released in two towns in New Zealand. And so the fact that they know that where these birds came from and where they were released means that they know that right after the introduction in New Zealand, those birds in New Zealand were singing the same dialect as the birds in Sussex were at that time. Right. So then the question is, what's happened in the hundred years since then? Yeah, this, this lets them sort of test some, some possibilities of how the dialects have changed or evolved or perhaps stayed the same in these two different places over the hundred or so years since the introduction. So we'll play a recording of a Yellowhammer song really quick just so you can hear what, it's, what it uh, sounds like. Okay, so that's the song. That's a recording from Zeno Canto. And the, the dialect part is those two longer notes at the end. So all the birds do the chip, 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 but then there's that z, zu, and that is what's different in the different populations. We'll play it one more time, listen for those two longer notes at the end. Okay, so, so that's the dialect, and that's the part that can change over space. And a lot of different birds have song dialects like that. Um, and, and you sort of get different dialects in different areas, and you can find the boundaries where those dialects sort of meet each other. Um, and what they're testing in this is 
do those dialects change over time in New Zealand and in Great Britain? Uh, and do they sort of diverge away from each other or are they staying the same? Now, Ellie, why might the dialects not still be the same in Great Britain and New Zealand? Well, so when you have a low density population, like the population in New Zealand right after they were introduced from Great Britain, you have the birds that came from Great Britain and then they reproduce and their kids disperse and they probably don't have any other yellowhammers around to listen to as they're learning their song. Yeah, or if they do, they might not have many others around. And so right. because they learn the song by listening to other birds, if there aren't many other birds to listen to, they might either learn the song but learn it poorly, so they might learn errors, or they might just invent a totally new song if there's no one to listen to. Yep. So then they had some predictions about what they were expecting to find in the differences between these two populations. Wilson, do you want to run us through what those are? Yeah, so the, the authors here had a couple different hypotheses. The first one um, was that the, their dialect diversity, or the number of different dialects, would be sort of greater in the native range in Great Britain than in the introduced range in New Zealand. And this is easy to understand, right? Because these birds were captured from one or a few towns in Great Britain. So if you assume that there were, I don't know, 10 or 15 dialects on the whole island of Great Britain, but you caught all these birds from one or two little towns, it's very unlikely that the couple of birds you caught happened to be singing all of those 10 or 15 dialects from Great Britain. Probably they only sing one or two dialects right from the area where they live. And so, if those birds are imported into New Zealand, you would expect that at the beginning, New Zealand started with only a subset of the Great British dialects. Right. Uh, so, so that would mean fewer in New Zealand, and so the, the prediction would be more dialects in Great Britain than in New Zealand still, because New Zealand started with fewer. Yep. Their second prediction is that new dialects evolved in the invaded range in New Zealand. And this is because of that low density phenomenon that you just that you just talked about. They might sort of either invent some new songs or learn songs poorly when they're invading in New Zealand in low density areas. So right. even though they're still expecting fewer songs in New Zealand, but they're expecting at least one or two that don't occur in Great Britain that have sort of arisen in New Zealand somehow. And then the third thing they did is they did a direct comparison between the town in Great Britain currently, the dialects in the town in Great Britain currently, and the dialects in the towns where the birds were initially released in New Zealand 100 years ago. Sure. Because they know 100 years ago these towns had the same dialects. What's the situation now? Do they still have the same dialects? Are those dialects stable in both places or are they different? Right. They were expecting to find that they were the same still. Yeah. Over, even, even over a hundred years. Yeah, bird yeah. dialects can be very stable. Um, the, the boundaries of where the dialects are, sort of the spatial boundaries, can be very stable. And evidently for yellowhammers, there's previous evidence that the, the dialects don't change too much over time. They're, they're fairly stable. Yeah. So what did they find? Well, so the, the first one, the question of whether there are more dialects in the native range than in the invaded, which is what they predicted, that was just totally not what they found. Um, <laughs> so actually in New Zealand, they found seven different dialects, and in Great Britain, they only found four. 
Now the data collection for this, there's quite a bit of data that goes into this. The authors recorded a bunch of bird songs. They also set up a citizen science project where people in both places could record yellowhammer songs and submit that uh, online to this project. So they had lots of recordings from, from kind of all over both these areas. Yeah. And so it, it seems very unlikely that they just missed recording a bunch of songs in Great Britain. It seems much more likely that there are just only four dialects in Great Britain to record. Right. They had relatively even spatial coverage, at least data points from, from the whole of the island. For Great Britain. For Great yeah. Britain, yeah. Yeah. So New Zealand had almost twice as many dialects. Uh, so this is very surprising. This, this means that something kind of drastic has happened here. Either New Zealand birds have learned a bunch of new dialects or somehow great British birds have lost a bunch of dialects or something. And we'll talk about those possibilities a little later on. But right. that's the first result. We should note that Great Britain and New Zealand are roughly the same size. So these are fairly comparable populations there. I think New Zealand is 10% larger than Great Britain. About their second question, whether new dialects have evolved in the invaded range. They did, in fact, find that. There are a number of dialects that they recorded in New Zealand, and these dialects are not found in Great Britain. So these dialects seem to be only in New Zealand. This, though, um, is worth investigating a little, a little closer, because there's a couple mechanisms by which that could have happened, by which you could have more songs in New Zealand. So one possibility is that in New Zealand, the birds invented new songs when they got there. Right. Or they learned songs with errors and, and basically gave rise to some, some completely new songs that are now in New Zealand. Yeah. So if, if the birds are learning new songs, how does that happen? How, so we, we talked a little bit about um, kind of why they might develop a new song, not being nearby other, other birds to learn their song or whatever, but um, you know, how do they go about developing a new song? Well, it depends a little on the species. So you might be familiar with some species that are able to learn sounds uh, from birds other than their own species. So if you're from North America, you might be familiar with this, um, with catbirds or mockingbirds or things like that, where those birds can actually learn sounds produced by other bird species and sort of incorporate that. You might have seen that video of the lyre bird that imitates a clicking camera and a chainsaw and all those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. extraordinary. Tropical bird, but. <laughs> extraordinary ability to mimic other sounds. So that's one possibility. Um, and this article gives an example of an Australian bird, I think, uh, that has been shown to learn songs from other birds in invaded ranges. Um, another possibility is that they are sort of making up new sounds. They're not learning it from anything. They're really inventing new sounds. And within that, I think there's a couple different possibilities. One situation is that maybe these yellowhammers have sort of an infinite variety of sounds they can make, and they can combine those in any way they want. And so you'd have basically unlimited range to invent new songs. But the other possibility is that the birds are really only capable of making a couple different kinds of sounds uh, and in that case, you'd have a, a little bit more limited range of combinations. Yeah. The, the dialect part remembers two or three long notes at the end. So we're looking for sort of unique combinations of these two or three long notes. And yeah. if there's not that many different sounds you could put in there, you're a little limited. 
the authors suggest here that yellowhammers probably fall into that group of birds that have a relatively limited vocabulary of sounds and are just kind of changing out the last two parts of their song um, within a, a limited range of possibilities. So there's another interesting piece of evidence here, um, though, which is that all the new dialects that were found in New Zealand but not found in Great Britain can be found in mainland Europe. Yeah, and this, I think, makes the scenario of inventing, of, of the New Zealand birds inventing new songs a little less likely. Right, because suddenly it's not just, suddenly they would have had to invent the same songs that the birds in Europe have also invented. And so you have two separate populations kind of doing this invention and magically coming up with the exact same dialects. Yeah, it requires the thing to be invented separately in two different places. Right. I suppose this is possible, especially if there is some benefit to that song. Sure. Now we should we should note that dialect does matter in birds. Um, there are there are studies that show that have played back different dialects to a bird, and they show that the behavior of both male and female birds is different when you're playing a song that has the dialect that is matches where that bird is from versus playing a different dialect. So birds behave differently based on the dialect of the song, and this could have some really important consequences in terms of mating and things like that. If you're more likely to get a mate with a certain type of song than another, it's going to sort of preferentially favor that song. Sure. So if there is something sort of inherently better about these combinations, then maybe that makes it likely that they'd be sort of invented multiple times in different places. Right. But on the whole, on the whole, it just seems to me like if birds were inventing new songs, I'd be expecting them to invent new songs, right. Right? not yeah. invent the same new songs over and over again in different places. Yeah, it seems unlikely that, that given a set of seven, the seven would be identical in New Zealand and in mainland Europe. So this forced the authors to revisit that alternative possibility, which is that the songs have been lost from Great Britain. So the idea here is, is that all the songs that are in New Zealand now Either they arose independently there, but if that's unlikely, that means they didn't arise there, they came from Great Britain. They came in those birds that were imported. Sure. And if that has happened, if those songs came from Great Britain, and they're still found in New Zealand, but they're no longer found in Great Britain, that means they've somehow gotten lost from Great Britain over time. Yeah. So there's a couple more compelling pieces of evidence to add to this theory, which are that, one, the population of yellowhammers in Great Britain is relatively isolated from the rest of mainland, from the population in mainland Europe. There are very few birds that cross the English Channel every year to get to mainland Europe. Um, and two, the population in Great Britain has been declining over the last several decades. So let's just back up one second. Why does it matter that Great Britain is isolated from Europe? How does that add into this story. Here. Well, if you learn your songs from your neighbors and um, your dialects kind of get passed based on proximity, if there's not really, if birds are not moving back and forth across the channel, then that's a, a fairly large geographic barrier between the dialects that you might find in mainland Europe and the dialects you might find in Great Britain. And so supposedly these dialects you're, you're saying might have existed in Great Britain before, these dialects that are now in mainland Europe and New Zealand. Yes. But they got lost from Great Britain, and they basically haven't 
recolonized. Right, they haven't recolonized. Right, the likelihood of, of songs moving back into Great Britain is very low unless there are birds that know those dialects moving into Great Britain to kind of spread them around. So it's kind of like metapopulation dynamics except for <laughs> yeah. songs. Like if you, have, if you have isolated populations that aren't connected and one of those little populations goes extinct, it's not going to be recolonized if there's not good connectivity right. between the two. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. And then if the population is shrinking in Great Britain to begin with, you might be kind of naturally losing those dialects just by losing the birds that, that once sang them. Yeah, though, on the other hand, you would also be uh, increasing the chances for erroneous learning and invention of new songs because of the low density. That is true. Although there are, the authors did find that there are two dialects in Great Britain that aren't in New Zealand. So maybe those are dialects that have arisen because of that low density phenomenon now happening in, in Great Britain. Who knows? Yep. Or they just didn't get shipped over to, yeah. Yeah. to New Zealand. Very possible. It's also interesting to note that um, the authors say here, though I wasn't aware of this before I read the study, that um, this same kind of phenomenon where uh, ancient not ancient, uh, where older uh, elements of a language um, are maintained in an invaded range and lost in the native range, is that's evident in human language as well. Yeah, they gave a bunch, a couple examples of that, of sort of like, yeah, older, sort of more ancient versions of language surviving in expatriate populations, basically, and in the core range where those human languages uh, came from, the language seems to evolve and change much more. So right. somehow the language is more stable. In right, these... more isolated and stable, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't read any of those, so I'd, I'd be very curious. Maybe if anyone listening knows anything about that, you could chime in on Twitter. Um, but that's a very interesting phenomenon. I mean, I think one of the things that makes studying birdsong so interesting is that there are elements of birdsong that, that are learned, culturally transmitted, almost language-like, yeah. And are, are very interesting to compare to human culturally transmitted, you know, uh, language things that are transmitted by sound and vocal production. Right. Yeah. Even as we're, you know, as we were kind of laying out what bird dialects are and kind of how they're transmitted and whatever, you can see the similarities to human dialects. You know, they, they arise kind of regionally. They're specific. They don't necessarily impede um, breeding or relationships between populations with different dialects but um but they're still they still are important in in the ways that birds interact with each other and in the ways humans interact with each other it's it's kind of a fascinating uh parallel yeah and in birds the dialects are definitely not complete barriers to uh reproduction so it's, right. it's not impossible by any means to have birds with different dialects mate but it does seem that there is some preference that the birds are more likely to want to mate with a bird that has their own dialect. And so you can get some, even when the dialects have a boundary that's, that's sort of abuts each other, they're right next to each other, you can get preferential mating where the birds tend to mate within their own dialect. And this can, can begin to drive some genetic differences. So, yeah. so they're not complete hard barriers, but there is some amount of a barrier or separation imposed by the dialect in birds. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see what, I, I know nothing about um, kind of linguistics research about the origins of dialects or, or why dialects have sprung up in, in human 
language. But I'd be interested to see kind of what the the predominant theories are in that discipline compared to the predominant theories in in bird dialect research. Yeah, what more could you learn about bird songs by looking at the human yeah. research? Well, I assume researchers who are specializing in bird songs probably do look at some of that research, but so one of the other pieces of evidence that they have here about, you know, sort of looking at this question of did these songs arise anew in New Zealand, these these new dialects that aren't found in Great Britain, or were they lost from Great Britain? They have one of these dialects, they label them with letters just to be able to tell them apart. So like the most common one is this so-called XB dialect, and it's sung over a lot of Great Britain. This is if you look if you happen to be looking at the article, this is figure two that I'm looking at here. So the XB dialect is kind of all over. And that's pretty common in New Zealand also. But I think this BDB dialect, if I'm recalling correctly, that is one of the, the ones that's only in New Zealand. It's not in Great Britain. Um, it's also found in mainland Europe. And so you have the possibility either it was invented in New Zealand independently, and it, it was also invented in Europe at some time, or that dialect came over from Great Britain to New Zealand. It's since been lost in Great Britain. One piece of evidence is that they have a, a fairly old recording, about 60 years old or a little older, of that dialect in New Zealand. Yeah. So that means that if it was invented in New Zealand, it was invented kind of almost right away. Um, and to me, that sort of lends a little more weight to the idea that that dialect came over from Great Britain. Yeah. And, and it was there immediately after the introduction. There's this recording of it from 60 years ago, and it's still there. Um, sort of that sort of to me, supports the hypothesis. As time goes on, you would expect there to be more and more newly invented dialects because there's more time for them to be invented. Yeah. But, but that soon, right after the introduction event, there's not much time to invent a bunch of new songs. And so the fact that that was already there some time ago suggests to me that it came over. Yeah, I find that fairly compelling as well. So ultimately, they really did not find a way to determine for sure whether what is happening is that the New Zealand birds are inventing new songs or learning new songs, or that the great British birds have lost songs. There are still a couple of different hypotheses, there are a couple different mechanisms, any of which could produce this pattern. Right. And, and there's really no way to disentangle that. You can sort of try to figure out which is more likely based on what's found in Europe, but it's still unknown at this point whether these songs arose in New Zealand independently or whether they came from Great Britain but have been lost there. Yeah. They don't have enough historical recordings to have a good sort of time uh, snapshot at different points in time. You know, if we had really complete recordings from a hundred years ago, it would maybe be a little easier to answer that. Yeah. Um, It'd be interesting to see if they keep this, the um, Yellowhammer-specific monitoring going for the next hundred years, let's say, how how it changes even more and if it continues. Um, I, I, you might be able to draw some conclusions if you have a hundred years of data to what happened in the previous hundred years, if, if things stay are similar. Yeah, there's a couple websites now that are collecting a lot of right. bird songs. So the Macaulay Library, run by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, has a lot of bird songs. and then Mostly from North America, but not exclusively not exclusively and then Zeno Canto is another website that has a lot of bird songs a lot of European and South American bird songs uh, and both of these sites have tens or hundreds of recordings 
um, of different bird species and a lot being added all the time. So if right. you're interested in, in getting on there, you can you can listen to these songs and both these sites I think now display spectrograms so they show a, a visual sort of picture of the sound um, which lets you, I mean you can look and see these dialect notes that we're talking about with the yellow hammers here. Yeah. Uh, and But with this much greater collection of these recordings I think you can you could have confidence I think that with a couple years of good effort you could collect pretty much every dialect in Great Britain or New Zealand right now. And so then if you study it again, yeah, in 50 or 100 years, yeah. and you find new dialects, then you have some good evidence that those new dialects have arisen there, not that you just missed them. Right, exactly. Last time. Yeah. In terms of their third hypothesis, trying to figure out whether or not the birds were the same in the town where they were captured and the towns where they were released in New, New Zealand, um, they found that they were not, <laughs> for the most part. Um, and, and this was a bit of a surprise, because yeah. bird dialects do tend to be fairly stable. Again, depending on the species, but especially in yellowhammers, evidently, the dialects don't change all that much. Yeah, so they they found, actually, that um, in in the town where the birds were captured, they're singing this XB dialect. This in, is in Sussex. This is in Sussex, yeah, in, in England. Um, and... In one of the towns where the birds were released, they are still singing that XB dialect. But in the other town, um, there's just there's no XB dialect. It's it's all a different dialect that has emerged. Yeah, and it's this, in fact two different dialects that have emerged, and they're mixed in that particular area. And this is very peculiar to me because, um, you know, if you think that maybe that a, a turnover or a change in dialects happens because of a preference. One, one song is somehow better than another. And you see that the, in Sussex and Canterbury, those, those songs still match. So that dialect has hung on in Canterbury and New Zealand very well. And then it has com been completely erased from the other town, Otago. Uh, and presumably it was there in the beginning. The birds introduced into that town had it. So why is it that this song has been successful in one area and not successful in the other? quite forcefully so. It's not like they're mixed in. It's not like there's some XB dialect right. and some others. It's either yeah. all or nothing. Um, yeah. And so that, that really suggests, well, I guess, I don't know. Is there some sort of, is there something better about the song itself? Or is it just sort of a, a social, like, is it a carried along um, trait where they're, where it sort of became popular and then got more popular because it was popular? You know, it's, it's not necessarily that it's a better song. Yeah. It's more popular. I'm not sure. I'm also kind of interested in the fact that Otago has this this um, mix of two dialects. It's not like another dialect came in and pushed out the original dialect and then has kind of maintained dominance there. There's There's two dialects, they seem pretty evenly mixed across the area in Otago, and, yeah, and that's I, a little peculiar to me. I don't know enough about yellowhammers. I mean, I think in birds generally, sometimes you find dialects that are sort of sprinkled in and mixed together. Sometimes you find them that are very strict, strictly segregated, uh, and I don't know which is more common with yellowhammers, but it does seem that where that XB dialect exists, it is really dominant. Yeah, and then in Otago, there's at least two dialects that are, seem to be existing right next to each other. 
Okay, so we have our, our two theories that the authors put forward here, that either the birds in New Zealand are learning new songs, which would require convergent evolution with the birds in mainland Europe, or that the birds in New Zealand have songs that were originally in Great Britain and are now gone from Great Britain. And the authors um, argue that, that the songs are likely leaving Great Britain because the uh, population of yellowhammers is declining there. They don't have a strong relationship with the population of birds in mainland Europe. So that's what the authors um, argue for most strongly here. Yeah, so they basically propose that the dialects found in New Zealand are kind of an, an archive or a record of what dialects used to be in Great Britain at the time that the introduction happened. Yeah, which is really cool, I think. The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. I'm at University College Dublin in the Ecological Modeling Group of John Yearsley. If you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie backslash ecomodel.